Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Like you just don't know if people are treating you differently because of the music or the pregnancy or what. And I'm just like watching and, and waiting to see if I think it has had an effect on my career. And welcome to Figuring Out 30. This is the podcast where we explore the chaos, confusion, and clarity that comes with turning 30, entering this new decade of life. I'm Bridget Husswaite. And firstly, I forgot to mention this last week. I'm so bad at promo, but Figuring Out 30 now has an Instagram. Yay! Please go follow it um, at Figuring Out 30 Podcast. This is where I'm going to be sharing all the video clips of my interviews and Anything else, I feel like shit posting. But hey, it's obviously time for a brand new episode. And in this one, you're going to meet Holly Rankin, aka Jack River. So throughout my time on Triple J, I had the absolute honor of premiering a bunch of songs from Jack River. And I vividly remember like 2016 being her breakthrough year. I remember when we featured her debut album, Sugar Mountain. I've seen her live a number of times and she is such a talented artist. Also a ray of sunshine, so lovely, beautiful big smile, just lights up any room. But musically speaking, it's just this gorgeous sugary sound that Holly is crafting and it takes you away on a hazy road trip or a lazy beach venture. I feel like all of her music just has a warm beam of sunshine, which is obviously so on brand. But beyond her music and the project of Jack River, Holly Rankin wears many hats. She's deeply passionate about politics and fighting for the environment and Indigenous rights. And her most recent project has been motherhood. So I'm really excited because this is kind of like the first music chat that I've had on this podcast. And we're going to hear all about her upcoming record, which is due next month. It's called Endless Summer. But Holly's also only a few months younger than me. So we're obviously going to pick her brain about turning 30 and being a woman in the music industry and now being a mother in the music industry because it's just not something that's talked about or even really supported. And yeah, as you'll hear, we have thoughts. There's literally so much in this chat, like just hearing about Holly's pregnancy experience and the expectation for artists to also be like content creators now. And I loved hearing how motherhood has influenced her creativity and mm, the big, big flaws in the music industry that aren't addressed, but we kind of tap into that a little bit. So hope you enjoy it. Let's get into it, hey? Figuring out 30 with Holly Rankin, aka Jack River. Thank you so much for joining me on this podcast. This is actually crazy though, because I haven't interviewed you properly before. And it's like funny because I've done, yeah, seven years on radio, but now it's on the podcast, but it's really nice. That's awesome. Yeah, no, thank you so much for having me. I'm daunted and excited to have this conversation. I feel like it's going to be half therapy, half interview. <laughs> For both of us, don't worry. <laughs> okay, okay. People must get pretty freaked out having this conversation because it's like we're all in the middle of processing everything we're talking about. <laughs> yeah, well, and I mean, for you and me, whole we're eight months apart in our age, so we're, we're navigating a lot of similar things but also navigating a lot of different things. And before we really dive into it, I always love starting with this question, which I call expectation versus reality, right? So I want to start with Holly growing up and what she envisioned for herself by the time she would reach the age of 30 and then what was actually going on in your life when you turned 30. So yeah, let's start with expectation. 
Well, I when you ask that question, I think back to this list I wrote when I was, I think, 12 or 13 in my diary. Oh. And it was like what I want to do with my life. <laughs> it was so, yeah, looking back um, seemed, oh, yeah, quite impossible. But now that I'm getting to this age, I'm like, maybe it is possible. And it was like sing to a million people, oh. uh, make an album, write a book um might write a book soon and it was like what else um make a movie write a law that benefits people and the environment wow okay you were with it from the get-go yeah and I think there was another thing like work on a major political campaign or something so I wanted to be a singer a lawyer a writer a filmmaker and probably something else (laughs) So I had no idea how, like, life worked at that stage. <laughs> That's the beauty of <laughs> but, it at that age. <laughs> yeah, and I guess, like, in my teens and early 20s, I've had this, like, must do this certain bunch of stuff by 35. And strangely, I think my life has come together in a weird and wild way to be almost on track with this weird, wild life I imagined at age 12 or 13. I never imagined having a baby. It just wasn't something I ever kind of thought about in my future. But um, yeah, I just I was all about like career and doing stuff from a really young age. But now that Maggie's here, I'm like, oh, of course she's here. Yeah. So I think at 30 right now, weirdly, yeah, I never could have imagined, I guess, in reality that all of these different interests would conflate in like one lifetime and at 30 be kind of like weirdly on some kind of track that I imagine life to be. Yeah. I I, I love hearing though about that list and, you know, often when I ask this question and it's a natural thing, I suppose, given the expectation and conditioning placed on women is that they do have that maternal um, box to tick on on that list. But for you to say that it was all real, you know, career oriented is, it's really nice. And I guess this is all kind of making sense in my head because I re-listened to the podcast interview that you did with Kida for your project back in 2020. And it really, sounded like re-listening to that it really sounded like there was um a lot of intrigue for you and you know you were 28 at the time and thinking about you know do I want to become a mum or whatnot so were you thinking about that back in 2020 about maternal desires I guess so yeah I guess throughout my late 20s meeting my partner who's from a beautiful small town and I'm from a beautiful small town where like people are having you know, that family thing at a younger age than people say in our, in our music industry. Yeah. Um, I was thinking about it, but with my turbo life to do list in mind, I just never knew if it was possible and how people did it and what I'd have to, in inverted commas, give up. So yeah, it really intrigued me at the time, especially mothers in music. There aren't many and there wasn't many at that time. Um, And I was looking at that conversation from an artist and a musician's perspective. Also to make a point that we need to make spaces for mothers and we need to change the music industry story around the acceptance of women even aging. (laughs) Mm, Exactly, because it really starts there, doesn't it? Let alone having a baby, just the thought of getting old. Fucking hell. (laughs) Yeah, it's... um, a dark, twisted path that I do think is a very real patriarchal narrative in the music industry. But um, so, yeah, back to the question. I was definitely toying with it and just wondering and, and really in awe of um, people who are pushing the narrative and maybe I was seeing it from like a, a narrative image perspective at that point, like how would this work? Um Yeah, I'm sure we'll talk about this more in a second. Yeah, in a second. The one thing that I'm dying to ask you, though, was how how was your pregnancy? You know, how was that experience and the birth and everything for you to, especially for you, I guess, to slow down? Because I know you as you're honestly one of the most productive people and you're always a go-getter. And I mean, obviously, since a kid, like the the list is a great (laughs) example. So how was the experience of pregnancy for you? 
Yeah, pregnancy was like a rude slap in the face physically. Really? Yeah, because I didn't plan to become pregnant. Like it was a surprise for us. And we decided, you know, through a big decision-making process to, to go along with it. But Maggie came at a point where I was, I'd just taken like a full-time job in the 2022 federal election, as well as doing Jack River full-time. So I was like doing these two things full-time, working during the week on the election and Jack River stuff, and then touring on the weekends and almost like acting like each thing didn't exist when I was doing it, if that makes sense. I To my Jack River team, I'd be like, I'm fine. I've got heaps of time. And to the election team, it's like, I'm fine. I just tour on the weekends. <laughs> um, and meanwhile, I was pregnant and so fucking sick. Really from the start? Yeah, I was sick until about 14 weeks, um, which was when it kind of aligned with the actual election. So I was just sick throughout this really busy time, busiest time in my life. And I just can't believe that sickness, like just shout out to every person who's experienced it and people who experience it right through to giving birth. I just, yeah, we have so much to change around how we support women in the workplace, like when they're that sick, because it's just absolutely the most disgusting form of sickness. So yeah, that was really hard. And then um, throughout the rest of the pregnancy, I'm on your podcast so I can talk about this, but I had this thing called Raynaud's syndrome and it's super rare in pregnancy, but it's like hypertension of the nipple. Oh, wow. So like extreme nipple pain. Wow. And it's both or just one? Both. Oh, damn. And it's it's caused by like um, a lack of circulation to the nipples. Like people with Raynaud's in their hands get like dark blue purple hands after like swimming in the ocean or something and I somehow magically got this thing in my fucking nipples so every any kind of whoosh of cold air or even just like I don't know opening a door would give me like extreme nipple pain and so yeah I got to the point where I couldn't walk my dog like I couldn't leave the house I couldn't go to the gym I couldn't go to Woolies like in the cold section everything was like extreme pain for me so and it's something that like I didn't feel comfortable just telling everyone about my nipples um (laughs) I'm honestly so glad we're talking about this now though because I don't think I've ever heard of it so this is a good thing to be aware of come that time Uh, (laughs) yeah it's so rare um I have no idea why I got it. Were you just like, what the fuck is going on? (laughs) What is this? Yeah, literally. So I tried some different medications and stuff, but in the end, I just would walk around with like extreme heat packs in my bra for nine or 10 months or whatever. Yeah. So that made it hard to just like tour on the weekends and live life. Like heaps of people have hard pregnancies, so nothing different. Um, Spiritually, it was beautiful and amazing and interesting but yeah physically I just found it like absolute hell and I hope it's nicer next time because everyone imagines like doing pregnancy yoga and going swimming all the time and like I really wanted to have an active pregnancy but I didn't really get to do that because it was just like extreme pain Mm, man I'm I'm so (laughs) glad though that you can it's so important to say that 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 was the truth of it because there's nothing worse than desanitizing or glamorizing what is essentially work on your body, like, and especially on top of two other jobs, like two full-time jobs on the top of that. Um, I had this really interesting conversation with Phoebe Simmons, who is the co-founder of The Memo, which is like an online baby retailer. And Mm. we were talking about the price of motherhood and the cost of labor and just how it is, yeah, just, it's not glam from the get-go, but we tend to you know, we don't want to hear about that stuff, but then we also treat the woman's body just purely as a vessel carrying cargo and it's really fucked and you've got fucked nipples and like, you know, it's not fair, but like everyone, you've also got a baby to like look after inside too. And it's just all fucked. A hundred percent. There's, I feel like we're just on the tip of the iceberg of hearing about the pregnant woman's experience. And it's something that deserves a lot of space and I hope there'll be a lot of change over our lifetimes in terms of how we hear about and understand that experience and how, you know, men and people from other genders understand it as well. Was the birth okay? Oh, yeah, the birth. Um, Yeah, so the birth, Maggie was 10 days overdue. 
which was an interesting process because every day feels like a million years and every day you're getting closer to like intervention, birth intervention basically. And I wanted to have a birth as natural as possible but also really open to whatever happened. Had a doula in in the process but, yeah, felt really good. So my birth story is basically like Maggie was posterior um, which means I had like back labour so I didn't really feel anything in the front. I had this horrendous back pain for 24 hours like it was 24 hour labor got increasingly more hectic toward the end um and after 24 hours of labor I this legend like badass old midwife came in and she was like okay I think like you're pretty fucking cooked and (laughs) you need to think about an epidural and I was just like, I agree. Were you scared about that? Or were you just like, just do it, man, whatever is going to, you know, help? I think at that point, like 24 hours of pain and my contractions got to like 45 seconds apart and they would last for 45 seconds or a minute. So it was just like, bang, bang, bang. Um, I was like, this just, I felt intuitively in my body that it wasn't happening as it should so I was like, yeah, I'm keen for an epidural. And as soon as I said yes, I was like, hurry the fuck up. Like, I want this <laughs> ASAP. Um, so that 10 minutes waiting for it felt like another year. Um, and I got the epidural and then like half an hour after they came in and said that Maggie's heart rate was was kind of dropping and that we should probably just go in for a C-section. Like they kind of she had little bits of heart stuff throughout the labor. So we were monitoring and they came in, yeah, and said, basically, we think you should go in for a C-section like now. And I was like, yeah, I'm so keen for that. I just, just want do what to tap to out. Do. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And I just wanted the best for her. And like, we'd already gone through 24 hours. So why make her like climb out of a vagina at that point? <laughs> um, so yeah, um, we went in and got an emergency C-section and she was out within like half an hour. So, yeah, and I don't know, I did like three hours of three hours of gas and then an epidural. So I was fairly cooked on drugs. <laughs> do you remember, I mean, despite being cooked on drugs, do you remember <laughs> that moment of holding her and being like, you're here, you're real, like literally right in front of me. Yeah. You are in the world. What was that like? Yeah, that was quite insane. Like she came out and was put on me soon after. And I think it's just like an indescribable, like, what? Like, this is my daughter. This is my baby. And Mm -hmm. at the same time for me, I think it took me like 20 minutes to come to because I could hardly open my eyes when she was put on me because I had gone through so much by that point. But yeah, in the like 20 minutes and the few hours after, it was just the most magical few hours of our lives. Like she was a really aware baby from the get-go. So she spent like three hours just looking at us when she was born, like with her eyes open. (laughs) Darling. Yeah. And so we were just like what is happening you're so magical and oh my god I don't know though and those days after are just the coolest indescribable really and it's just amazing how suddenly you know your life changes from when you find out to you have you're pregnant and then that experience but then it just changes again on a whole nother level when the baby is actually right there in front of you and what I wanted to touch on too because I saw it was a, a post that you shared you know your friend Annie Hamilton came into town and she helped you kind of just like she dusted off the Jack River wardrobe and, you know, get off the spew-friendly T-shirt, let's put on some makeup and let's take some shots or whatever. And you mentioned in that post how it was just like a breeze of feeling like you again, I suppose. How How is that going? Because essentially what, I, you know, what you're doing now as a mother, like that's a new version of yourself, right? But at the same time, it's also extremely important and um, okay to recognize that you can grieve like the past version of yourself and especially you know those maternal desires weren't always at the top of your list which is more than okay how how are you going in that kind of navigation of you know who you are as a mother 
versus what you're missing in your old self, like that balancing act of your identity? Mm, Such a giant question that I'm (laughs) very much in the depths of like answering for myself, but I'll give you an interim report on how it's going. Yeah, real-time report. (laughs) Yeah, um, reporting in from identity crisis. Um, Oh, I'm so interested in yeah the the matrescence journey and and how that affects people pregnancy well sorry during the pregnancy I really mentally prepared to be washed away and like talking about 30 and and everything that comes with it I was I felt really ready to be like control alt delete of who I am and so I, I really tried to just get ready to to feel like I don't I don't know myself and I want to get to know myself again and a new version of myself because everyone says that's you know probably what mothers struggle with the most is grieving their old self and I felt really excited to lose myself interestingly and that is definitely happening you really do <laughs> lose this solid form of being that you felt before of like I am Holly and I I know what I like to do I know what I put my time into I don't know I can go wherever I want I can travel wherever I want like that sense of freedom and depth of self and trust in yourself definitely gets shifted it's like someone kind of comes up and like shakes your identity and all of the little neurons have to like refine their paths um and their little connections so yeah that's happening um at the moment and it's really interesting I guess creatives and and people who have to have like a personality as their job might resonate with this um I feel like it's kind of extra hard because we have to pretend like we know who we are all the time and we have to you know when you're marketing songs or like your project or whatever there's this you kind of think oh that person knows what they're doing um and we all think we have to act like we know what we're doing which is true for everyone really but when your personality is like your job it's kind of extra unsettling so I'm Mm. also going through that um whilst like releasing this album trying to really give in to feeling unsettled whilst also trying to still be a person (laughs) I think that's every mum goes through but yeah it's such a like big amazing question to keep asking and I guess I'm just trying to really follow what what things are giving me energy naturally at the moment and like really listen to my dreams if I have a cool dream that I'm like whoa I really loved how that felt or like I don't know just like really listening and watching the world again which is a beautiful thing that you do as a new mom anyway because you're like seeing the world for the first time through your child's eyes yeah so you're like kind of buddying in on her journey and refinding myself along with her like oh yeah I remember I really love horses like let's show Maggie the horses and why do I want to show her horses because I love horses like is that what prompted you to post about the saddle club PS can't believe you met the cast <laughs> I know it's a big deal um, it's a flex. yeah <laughs> yeah it was I feel like over the past few weeks I've just had you know when you, things happen in a row like mom sent me that saddle club picture and I met up with my high school friends who I used to ride every day with and I got to show Maggie a horse for the first time and stuff like that. So I don't know. Yeah, it's a really beautiful process to like re-begin self and I'm really grateful for the forced nature of it with motherhood because if I was left to my own devices, it might have taken me till I was like 40 to, to reclaim who Holly is and actually put in the effort to um, rediscover and externalize that hopefully soon. (laughs) I mean, I think that question on identity is like, it's going to take a while to have a definitive answer on it. Like it's a ongoing exploration. I love that. I love when you hear um, like 80 and 90 year old women say that they're still finding out who they are. An amazing mentor of mine, Wendy McCarthy has a great quote and she says like a a woman should have eight careers in her lifetime I love that it's just really nice to remember that we're just you know at the beginning in so many 
regards, but there is, I think, a definitive line between 20 and 30 where you really do need to like let go of things and re-externalize even if it's just for yourself um yeah when did you make that realization do you think this whole motherhood experience of like you know I feel like more late 20s like 27 28 becoming aware of the Saturn returns oh yeah Yeah. okay did you have one (laughs) because I love talking about Saturn returns okay I was like I bet she does um yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah I feel like I'm just coming out of it still with a lot of questions (laughs) but um definitely felt like a you know that chaotic swell happening from 27 28 um feeling called to like a new like a 2.0 self without knowing the answers yet and over the like that 27 to 31 bracket feeling like okay every year you know that you have to move towards something and it gets stronger and stronger until you really decide, okay, I'm going to let go of this stuff at some point and I'm going to really move into this other stuff. Um, yeah, I guess how I visualize it is it like a chaotic swell that's like a tornado in your life and your personality and these same questions keep coming up and up and up until you finally like commit internally um and Saturn literally has to pass right through some point (laughs) and mine passed through like a month ago or something um I have loved the conversation with my girlfriends about their Saturn returns and whether it's real or not it's it is definitely a real time that we're all going through this is why you have a podcast on it um and it's a really nice way to visualize Saturn moving through yeah it just like fucks your shit up until you decide to accept what it's asking you to do and I just know that life wouldn't feel right if I didn't do the things that it kind of tells you to do or yourself is telling you to do life would feel off track Mm, yeah you've got to follow that gut instinct that it kind of prompts as well I kind of want to go back to what you said it's just stuck in my head when you're talking about Maggie before and yeah being able to see things in a different way and seeing them for the the first time how has motherhood impacted your creativity in good ways and bad because you know I'm sure there's both good and bad Mm. yeah has it surprised you in that regard my creativity my relationship to creativity felt a bit twisted and stale before motherhood really before Maggie kind of came along I guess because it's so intertwined with my professional career that I can sometimes really resent it when things are going on professionally um and I dance in and out of that but motherhood especially that those first few months of being with Maggie gave me this golden time of uninterrupted lifetime where I'd go swimming in the morning and come home and like write in her book or my diary every morning and I got to just have sacred it's almost like when you're a teenager and I don't know I haven't made a career in music or or anything to interrupt my creative relationship with myself um so it just pressed restart for me also I got you know a million new emotions to to speak to and um to try to describe but I think mostly just the time and like dedicated disconnection from the world has reminded me really deeply that I can have like an uninterrupted conversation with myself and I don't need to externalize it all the time which has been really beautiful and yeah I just love writing so much like in my diary not necessarily songwriting all the time but I've forgot how much I need to do that and it's been really good (laughs) yeah I definitely need to tap back into journaling because it's such a healthy thing to do for yourself and then I guess yeah if you need to refer to something for for Jack River you can always just open that up and it can be a nice source of inspiration if you've got like a writer's block day or whatever so what does that average day look like for you now like you know take me through like Spend the day with Holly. What's happening in your day? (laughs) Oh, God. Um, Well, I've just, like, I'm trying to be really Maggie present, um, like, five to six days a week. Um, And then I'm spending two 
two days working, like two full days working with my mum supporting. So on Maggie days, we just try to do something fun, like just started going swimming at the pool or taking her to the beach or some rock pools or something, definitely going for a walk. She loves the water. She does love the water. She's, yeah, I think she'll be a little swim. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. (laughs) She She loves it. Yeah, and I've got like a best friend with a baby here. And the other day we like did craft for three hours, which was really fun. Um, So like trying to really preserve that time with her and trying to you know find some new mum friends and learn some stuff but um oh there's also rhyme time at the library oh Tuesdays at 10 30 if anyone sweet. wants to come to foster library yeah. <laughs> um <laughs> yeah you know it's like a cool library lady singing rhymey songs to the babies so that's so cute inspirational just shining off on all the like classic baby songs it's actually quite good for a songwriter to remember these like universal songs that we sing to children and why they're so universal so yeah oh my god you'll be hosting play school in no time (laughs) yeah life goals that was on the list that's on the list yeah no I'm kidding um but yeah and then I like on my two work days I've got an album coming out in June so there's always little bits and pieces to to do for the Jack River stuff and I'm also working doing it um a couple of hours a week as a creative director for the Uluru Dialogues on the Voice to Parliament campaign. So, yeah, I do really enjoy just my two laptop days to, like, do my thing and that really fuels me mm. at the moment and is reminding me who I am and um, what I love to do. Yeah, no, it's so important for you to have that for yourself. So Endless Summer, it was you finished writing it when you found out you were pregnant, right? Have you had any time to actually write? Like I know we've just talked about the the diary journal stuff, but have you had a crack at writing whilst Maggie's around? Sounds like, yeah. And I hate, like I kind of hate asking it because the album's not out yet and um, there's nothing worse when you've got something there and then people are like, well, what's next? You're like, I literally just got a fucking album. No. But I'm just really intrigued. <laughs> That's fine, yeah. Um, weirdly... I feel like it's still coming. When I write songs, I like get overwhelmed by an emotion and it bubbles out into a song. And there's been a few times where I've recorded and I just record a voice note and then leave it for later. And so that's happened a few times, but I, to be honest, haven't sat down and like, you know, scrapped together all the things I've been thinking and writing. But yeah, I'm sure it'll happen soon. I can see in my head that like it'll be really fun to sit there with the guitar with Maggie. How cute. <laughs> yeah. And I am really inspired and like thinking about not kids music but like universal music and why it's so important and then like why we love ABBA so much, like that kind of fun pop land. Do you know how ABBA could be kids music? Totally. I'm not going to go down the path of like, now I have a kid, I'm making kids music. Big respect to KLP who does that and I want to join in on her project. But I don't think that's going to happen more so, yeah, I'm like thinking how can you make pop music better by listening to lots of kids' music? Oh, I think, but I think there's actually such a legitimate correlation there. Like there's definitely a relationship, a link uh, relevance that Something you could totally to tap into yeah and that's a fun new little challenge for you to kind of have as Jack River as well like it's you just find inspiration in all sorts of things and you know Maggie totally. will bring the whole whole bound of that oh how great <laughs> yeah it is really fun and just little sounds like glockenspiels and <sighs> like kazoos and so that's like Beach Boys ABBA like they did use a lot of fun instruments that I don't really hear that much in pop music at the moment. So, yeah, I don't know. I'm excited to 
to use the weird journey. The the song we listen to at the moment all the time is the Happy Song by Imogen Heap. Oh. She worked with the university to create a song that scientifically is engineered to make babies happy. Wow. <laughs> and it's it works. So fuck yeah, Imogen. That is so cool. I actually didn't know that. That's so cool. Yeah. And with the with Endless Summer, because I know like you mentioned Beach Boys before and they have served as a major sonic inspiration for, you know, this whole body of work and bringing that nostalgia, that sonic escapism, I suppose, do you have a favourite child on the record? What's your favourite song, if you could pinpoint one? <laughs> sure. Um, Stranger's Dream is really magical. Matt, Matt Corby and I had a lot of fun making that world. Um, Lucy Queen. Was this your first time working? Sorry, was this your first time working with it Matt? It was my first time working with Matt. So the day we met, we wrote the song Honey and just started like producing it in the studio and I just yeah really connected to how he made music and his magical approach to music and also his skill skill set he's just an incredible musician that can play everything under the sun what about the hardest song to put together what was the hardest I always love hearing about not me loving to hear the struggles (laughs) I love it yeah um as in like just fucking annoying is that literally it can be that it can be like yeah like technically a pain in the ass emotionally draining like whatever however you want to define hardest I'm here for it okay (laughs) yeah oh it's sad to throw it under the bus but um (laughs) paradise on the record was just hard to because a lot of it I made a bunch of the songs with Matt in real life but a lot of it was made on zoom because of the pandemic um and that felt so hard like it was just so hard to to do this thing that we only get to do every few years like put a bunch of money into making music like why are we doing it over zoom it's so annoying um but yeah it's a privilege to make music whatever way we make it but um yeah I guess like paradise is just hard to get right and kind of yeah like the process on zoom was super glitchy and so many people wouldn't even think that still has that's had to be the way for a lot of musicians in recent times. Like a lot of people don't know the actual, you know, ins and outs of crafting a song and the crazy tedious logistics. Yeah, it's pretty tedious. And you just imagine like us three in a room like making this nice song, but really it's like 400 emails between managers and producers and mixes and stuff. Um, yeah, so Hopefully pandemic albums are over and we've seen the last of them, but Mm. yeah. Yeah. How are you going in terms of the social media stuff and um, are you conscious of what you're punching out and it's going back to the different hollies that we have on show and catering to those different audiences? I struggle sometimes with my socials, even just like having left Triple J because I know a lot of people followed me because of that, but then a lot of people follow me because of endometriosis and then others just follow because of the podcast. Like how do you find managing your social media and putting out these things and what content you're sharing like does it overwhelm you do you think about it a lot it really does yeah such a mindfuck isn't it way too much yeah I could write a novel on this question but um yeah it absolutely confuses the shit out of me and I'm really like leaning on some friends at the moment to try to find confidence in relaying those different selves (laughs) um because I don't know you're the same like we grew up in this era where music comms were very different to how they are right now um I really loved just being mysterious in the like music releasing process and like leaving it to the visuals to speak about the music and leaving it to the music to speak about the music I didn't plan for a world where I would have to be the vehicle that markets music um and now everything is just like tiktok talking to camera like acting like well, the <laughs> really expecta- normal. yeah is it the expectation to overshare when you know you as a musician like it is you let the, the music speak for yourself but you feel that added role now and a lot of people will say you know now I'm a fucking musician and a content creator when they're very different they're really different things yeah and I I'm kind of clinging on to like I as a musician in in that self 
I just don't feel like a content creator. But weirdly, when I speak about issues I care about, I can, I find it easy to talk about other people and and issues and stuff. I just find it quite hard to like talk about myself to camera. Um, And especially when it comes to music, I'll try really hard um, (laughs) for this album campaign. Um, But yeah, it does. It's just not me. I'm not a content creator when it comes to being a musician. Like I'm really like internalized and private and like creating little worlds and putting them out there. And I just don't know how that like can work these days. And I know heaps of musicians talk about this. Um, We're just like of a certain vintage now. I don't know. Like, yeah, what do you see? Does everyone, a lot of people struggle with this, but like younger artists are more born into like knowing that they have to be a content creator? Yeah, I think it's for people our age. Like we're the last generation really that grew up like we grew up without social media to an extent, right? Mm. Like we didn't grow up with all of these platforms. Like, yes, our first taste would have been maybe AOL or MSN into MySpace, but like it's so overwhelming now, but the younger generation don't know any different. So it's natural for them. Like I, I think it is much easier for them, but people our age who are like in our early 30s, like we've kind of experienced both and it's just like, well, which way of like, am I being pulled and what am I meant to do? And I just hope there is a way like where the music industry can just be a bit more accommodating of that and not ask so much of that to, I guess, artists who are, who are already, you know, somewhat established and even for breaking through ones too, but like we've known a music world without this stuff. So I don't want that to be completely lost, I suppose. Oh, I totally agree. And I'm so intrigued to see what happens because I guess not necessarily labels because they fit into a different, yeah, that's changing too. But um, I really do hope there is space for different kinds of music creators and ones that are really internalised and shy and don't naturally speak to camera like about going to the shops and stuff and there's nothing bad about that. But, um, yeah, I think me and you grew up in like Kings of Leon and Florence and the Machine and I don't know, like early days Lana Del Rey or like there was a lot of mysterious unspoken story about those artists and I really enjoyed that and I I like not knowing um, the real self of the artist. Mm. I do want to kind of hone in a little bit more on I guess how we're feeling, you know, as you're drop getting ready to drop the album starting to get back into the rhythm of the music industry now as a mum when you've been so aware of, you know, the lack of visibility, the lack of support within this industry accommodating for mothers. How are you currently feeling about it all as a mother yourself? Do you still have um, reservations and frustrations and what do you think still needs to change? Especially, I guess, when you think of, you know, that chat that you did have with Keita three years ago and you were asking her the same questions and now you're in, in that position. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think a lot still needs to change um, for mothers but for artists in, in general. Like I think a lot about how record labels and music teams are in the space of like kind of selling emotion and that has a cost for the artist that the artist deals with alone. And I think with the increasing pressure of social media and constant 24-7 content creation and constant visibility, that really needs to be addressed by artist teams, music teams and the artists themselves. Like we can't deal with all that um, personally and alone uh, anymore. And that weighs into how mothers are or or pregnant people are treated in their teams. You need a lot of support as a a woman going through pregnancy because you're going through an extreme life shift and your team need to, whether they know how to or not, like they need to ask about it and they need to provide support. And then on the other side of having a baby, you need extra support in how you tour and how you travel and who you take on tour and how that works financially and how your how your schedule might might be different um and yeah i don't think many music 
teams in Australia have been through that yet. So there's not actually like things set up um, even around maternity leave for an artist. Um, you know, we are we're the directors of our businesses and we need to set our own maternity leave and our own requirements in our team and stuff. And I was pretty confident to like create that stuff within my team, but I know a lot of people wouldn't be and I am a pretty confident person in that way, but I still felt like quite unsure and like, is it okay if I ask to have no contact for two weeks from my team while I'm giving birth? Um, Here's the link to the maternity leave schedule. (laughs) Uh, Has everyone seen it? Like, it was just like all new stuff for me and I didn't know whether I was being over the top or like appropriate or yeah. So that's like an example of stuff that doesn't exist that our industry needs to develop um, for, for people who become pregnant, <laughs> for expecting mothers, whatever. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and then there's spaces within festivals and, and venues, et cetera, which applies to people with like any kind of minorities in the music industry uh, need to be thought of in festival spaces and venue spaces. Um, that still has a long way to come, but I think there's a lot of great conversation and movement and understanding from especially the major festivals. But yeah, the biggest thing for me is probably like the patriarchy, pregnancy and music. I just don't know. I'm kind of new to it and feeling out what's happening to what I feel, you know, is happening to my project as a result of having a baby, whether like you just don't know if people are treating you differently because of the music or the pregnancy or what. And I'm just like watching and and waiting to see if I think it has had an effect on my career because mm. I really hope in the future, well, as all <laughs> feminists do, that we can appreciate and fall in love with the different stages of a woman's life because I, d- I don't think we do yet and I think it's exciting for mothers to play in that space and do things differently like Keita Alexander is doing again at the moment. She's doing an incredible campaign with her new single Queen where we're seeing her life as a mother, you know, intermingled with her life as an artist. I just can't see that happening for many other artists. Like I can't see them playing with that. Um, the D- the DMAs guys, Tame Impala, um, you know, Violent Soho, heaps of other artists in our industry have kids. We just don't hear about it. We don't see them. We don't have to hear about their journey as fathers because they're not visibly pregnant yeah it's not a problem because it's everyone's choice about how they communicate that but um it's a difference and it's an obvious difference yeah and I just I swear that I swear there's an unspoken disposal of women who who go to that next stage in life and talk about it yeah and it's frustrating because it's like it's it it's out of your control as to how people are perceiving it and also out of control that the decision is almost made for you as to whether or not you're still marketable or appealing or whatnot when it shouldn't be that should be always your decision and you should always be in control of that stuff not ironically like usually old men who are kind of making those calls and having those perceptions that kind of trickle down from the top I think it's yeah it I've definitely noticed in recent years like more you know mothers and music having conversations I think of like Charlotte Abrams and Ainsley Wills as well and Hannah from Middle Kids and um, Izzy and Lisa and you know they're all people you know really well too but there is still frustratingly like it still really fucks me off knowing that there is still you can still sense it can't you you can still sense Mm. it like for you to say like I'm just looking and just wait like you can't definitely say for sure but like you can you can fucking sense some people are still like that and yeah yeah I think you can um (laughs) and it is because um the majority of executive positions in labels and in radio are held by men yep and a lot of men who may not have children yet and they don't actually understand how cool and magic and wacky and wild and actually relevant it is um and same goes, 
I guess the media is becoming less relevant to young people and, and the rise of social media is exciting because people, everyday people are empowered to have platforms and talk about motherhood and and the and show a breadth of experience that you can go through rather than the media selling us one type of mother and one type of career or journey as a woman. But um yeah, no, I'm really intrigued. I'm feeling the vibes, but I'm not ready to call call it out yet, I guess. Just observing. Just observing. Mm-hmm. Just observing. Um yeah, it also harks back to the combo we were having before about 24-7 content creation and 24-7 relevance. Like that's also not really – I don't find that doable as a new mum with a four-month-old. I'm like my spare time is spent with her, but that doesn't mean the quality of my work is going to be any less. Yeah. Yeah, and that's like a broader question in society, like how much are we really willing to hand over um, in the name of success on social media or whatever, and that's a decision for every person. But, yeah, yeah, no, I feel my, like, inner passion and heart brewing when you ask that question. The music ecosystem in Australia, which is heavily reliant on Triple J, does kind of prescribe that you need to be relevant to an 18 to 24 audience Whereas to make a music career in Australia or any country, you really have to be in the game for like 10 10 years to establish yourself. Look at DMAs and Rufus and Violent Soho and Vance Joy and um, these people, like the majority of them, you have to put a good 10 years in to to become a sustainable, financially successful artist. Yeah. And in that time, we do have to turn 30 and a lot of women do go through... um, the choice to start a family because that's your fucking fertility window. So like, meanwhile, you know, women have children at that stage and we can do both. Like in a music career, you can have a child and tour and do whatever, but you know, men are going through the men in the music industry are going through this too, but they can act like it's not happening. And that's the problem is like they can pretend they're not fathers and that they're drinking at the pub, you know, at 1am and stuff. And they probably can do that because women are our primary caregivers a lot of the time. But I think that's a really interesting issue that nobody speaks about until a mother decides to have the conversation. Yeah. And I think even just naming those artists as well, and you think of like the long-term modern legacy acts and you would put them in that kind of category And I hate that right now I could not tell you off the top of my head, I could not list a bunch of female artists that you would consider on that same kind of tier as those people who have put in the 10 years who still have that relevance to um, or who have been uh, made, it's been easier for them to have relevance to that audience as opposed to a female band or artist. Like, Am I am I just having a? I mean, no, a, I don't. Play? No, I don't think at the level of like those artists and Gang of Views and Tame Impala and Flume and stuff. There's probably Tash Sultana and Tones and I, um, who Amy are Shark. kind of in that bracket. Amy Shark, yeah, and um, you know, none of those women have kids um, for whatever choice, you know, whatever. But there aren't any mothers in that bracket. Um, there could be a million reasons for that, but yeah, I do think like if we look back at our history as a country, like, you know, recent modern music history, um, you can't really name too many female artists and Mm. that sure, maybe people like music that men make better. That's a big call. I don't really believe that. I think that it's more of um, a case of the patriarchy, which, you know, embridles itself in really deep systematic ways, as we're seeing through all other conversations we're having in society at the moment. But men can act like they're not ageing and we don't care when men age as well as a society. And those deep core societal beliefs do embed themselves in you know silly rules like triple we've got one youth radio station and we're going to decide that it's for 18 to 24 year olds so products got to stay shiny and young and 
women age (laughs) that's a big call again but I don't know happy to make it really yeah well I mean I can't imagine any many male um fronted acts or solo worrying about being shipped like and I hate saying this because double j is a very important station and it should be on an fm frequency but that is like a logistical issue it's not just a choice for it not to be on the frequency but there are more female artists who are worried about being shipped off to that station that caters for older people because they're you know they've got that stupid narrower time frame they don't like they have the stupid expiry that these guys have the luxury of not having to worry about at all right absolutely and I think we're talking about triple j when there's a whole host of commercial radio stations that hardly even touch Australian music Mm. um let alone touch music made by women that are older than I do think that it's important that radio stations and culture makers are thinking about this um because yeah, and are listening to conversations like this because it's not like any of those males are going to have this conversation. No, literally. Right? <laughs> I, I don't see that happening. <laughs> I, I, no, but I did hear on like at the first time I heard it was Kevin Parker on the project. They asked him about being a dad and he answered like as he would answer any other um, question and I was just like, we need more of that. That was the first time in my whole life I've heard a, a modern male Australian musician be asked about his private life in the way that women are asked about their private lives all the time. Yeah, far out. That's It's, it's like um, I do actually remember um, uh, it was a number of years ago Triple J actually sent, it was a comedian, they sent them to the Brownlow and the the comedian's role was to interview the the wives and girlfriends and ask them about what they do and everything and then they just turn to the males and be like so what are you wearing and it was really beautiful <laughs> mm. yeah like roll it's completely so reversed <laughs> so good that's amazing yeah final question to wrap up on holly <laughs> how would you describe your 30s so far as someone who is you're about to turn 32, right? In a couple of months. In December, yeah. <laughs> okay, end of the year. You're turning 32 in December. So yeah. as a 31-year-old, I know it's only been a year, but how's how's the 30s been? How would you compare it to everything you've gone through in your 20s? <laughs> My 20s were spent doing a lot of incredible things, and um, but I felt like I was living on a dream, walking on a dream even. <laughs> I feel like in my 30s I'm changing to walk the talk and actually really dig in on the things that I do want to do in my life and and put my hands on them and um, make those dreams really tactile in a way that in my 20s I was envisioning and, and dreaming and doing lots of cool, incredible stuff. But now I'm like turning all that magic and and focus and the light of what I was working on to really do what I like want to do in my life so kind of like walking the walk and I know that's a big call but yeah um at the beginning of trying to do that within myself you've experienced so much change just in the space of you know these last few years and entering your 30s and it's incredible to see like what the rest of this decade of life will have in store for you but for now it's just about Maggie and Luke and the album that's coming out so I hope you have the most amazing rollout June 16 is Endless Summer's date into the world another birth (laughs) yeah not as painful and no sort nipples this time (laughs) yeah no epidurals um but yeah no thank you so much and thank you for everything you do with your platform and the conversations that you start and create we all love you so thanks for a ditto to you holly really appreciate you coming on and being so honest too i know this will definitely be um of help and comfort to so many people so keep doing you oh thank you 
Jack Rivers' new album, Endless Summer, is out June 16. I've got the pre-order link in the show notes of this episode, as well as Holly's Instagram if you want to stay connected. Hey, thanks so much for listening. Figuring Out 30 is an independent podcast produced and presented by me, Bridget Hustwaite. It's created on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. And if you like what you're hearing, you can follow it on Instagram at Figuring Out 30 Podcast. I've got the link in the show notes of this episode. And of course, please, by all means, share the podcast, review and rate it. It really means the world. Like, I appreciate it so much. So thanks again, and I'll catch you next week. Bye.